Hello, and welcome to another episode of It's in the Experience, an original podcast series produced by the Association for Experiential Education. I'm Sherry Bagley, Executive Director of AEE and host of It's in the Experience. We have quite the show today. Joining me are Jane Panacucci and Jay Zar. These two have done just about everything there is to do in and around experiential education, but they have never met each other except for a very short pre-show meeting. Jane has extensive experience consulting and coaching. She loves to transform organizations and marvels that it was over 35 years ago when she worked with her first team. While at Harvard University earning her master's degree, Jane studied learning theory and she applies brain-based learning and learning styles in her facilitation. She is the owner of Active Learning Group and partners with Brimstone Consulting. Previously, she was vice president and chief operating officer of Project Adventure. Jane is a published author and when not working can be found cycling, surfing, and sailing near her home by the sea. Jay Zar is a master of using natural settings and adventure experiences to teach leadership, teamwork, and self-esteem. Jay offers a unique perspective from his 45 plus years in the field about the value of self-knowledge, the collaborative nature of leadership, and a leader's role as a servant. His work experiences range from higher education, the United States Forest Service, as a senior instructor for the Wilderness Education Association with at-risk, or as he likes to say, at-promise youth, as an aging to staging certified instructor, and as the board president of the Nature and Raptor Center of Pueblo. In addition, he has helped design the 10th Mountain Hut System in Colorado. He and his wife, Cleo, own Storytellers Travels and Imagine If a Mind, Body, and Spirit Connections Company. Jane and Jay, so good to have you here today. Great to be here. Thanks so much, Sherry. Yeah, good to be here. Absolutely. You two have extensive knowledge and background in experiential education. And I'm so excited to have both of you here to share some of that wisdom and to talk a little bit about experiential education. So one of the first things we like to do, since you haven't had a chance to meet before, is some commonalities between you two. What were some of those things we came up with that you all had in common? What were some of those things? Yes. Well, this may be a new one. I'm wondering if you think ice cream is its own unique food group because it's so important for us to eat. Are you an ice cream eater? (laughs) I had never thought about that, but I would be in that camp. Yeah, I think ice cream is a very important food group, especially if it's colored ice cream, because if it's green, then it could be a vegetable. Ah, I I love that. We have a common importer, Outward Bound. Yeah, it both worked Outward Bound. I believe we're both um, mountain bike riders and and lovers of the sea. Sounds like you're more of a sailor. I'm on more of a sea kayaker. But I think our commonality, one of our, is loving the sea and all that the sea brings to life and all that surrounds it. It is a life force for me. I live on it or not quite, but I can see it. And I do spend as much of my free time floating or on two wheels as is humanly possible. Animals. I have no animals right now. Well, we have Zeus the Wonder Dog, Labradoodle, and uh, travels with me whenever he can. So we we do have a a Wonder Dog called Zeus. He's 11. And one of the things I am is a a runner. My fast time is the same as my slow time. So there's no need to ask. But him and I are training all the time, doing something, currently looking at doing a half marathon sometime in October. I used to share that, but no longer. So I'm going to start back at the beginning. How did each of you get involved in experiential education? What was kind of that first brush with it? 
my first brush, I was at the University of Southern Colorado at the time, and my mentor, Jack Sahimer, said, hey, look, there's this cool conference in Estes Park you should go to. And so I showed up at this conference not knowing what the heck it was, but immediately knew that I was surrounded by kindred spirits. It was a AE conference in Estes Park. And I think I actually think it might have been the second conference, but it was like I showed up and it's like, okay, I'm supposed to be here. And I've been involved with AE basically ever since that time. Well, I was born. No, I won't go that far back. <laughs> it's, it's pretty close. So yeah. sixth grade science teacher no. took our entire class on a faking trip. I lived in Middlebury, Vermont. So the long trail was in my backyard. And it was just the light bulb went off for me when I saw the 24 of us or whatever it was on that camping trip transform. You know, when I saw the, yes. the bully scared to death of the dark, when I saw the the young little girl who was not so popular be the most light on the balance, I mean, it just was like, wow. And so that same teacher gave me a brochure about Hurricane Island Outward Bound School. And hmm. from there, I set my sights that this is something I want to do. And I ended up there my junior year in college. So it happened young for me and uh, inspiring teacher was the impetus. Yeah, Jane, I, I can say when I mentioned Jack Simon, I met him when I was 16 and I got hired on at, at that point, it was Camp Crockett. I kind of bullshitted my way into being older, supposedly got hired as a counselor. And Jack, you know, the transformation was my transformation in the outdoors and being around and seeing what the world of the natural could do to make this angry teenager pretty happy. And so, and then Jack's the one who turned me on the conference in Essence Park a number of years later. So yeah, it was just, you know, the natural world and changing surround us as well as, you know, within us is, is how I ended up here. Jay, did you stay a camp counselor at that camp? camp I was a camp, yeah, I was assistant camp years? counselor. Yeah. And I, I spent a number of years doing camp counseling at Camp Crockett and Chile camps and that type of thing, and Chile, Colorado camps and stuff. Yeah, mm. it was great. What's the focus of your work now? That's an interesting question. Right now, I'd say my focus, if I were to put it in a word, is leadership. But if I were to put a little bit of color on that, you know, my primary focus is working with senior leaders and their teams to dot, 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 change the culture, improve business results, develop their people. And I do that at really two vastly different scales. I do that in Fortune 50 and above companies, large scale work with super senior people. And then my heart place is to do it with public school superintendents and their teams to move public education in a different direction. And then, of course, my background as a nonprofit executive might also hop into the nonprofit world. The beauty of working with senior leaders that cast really massive shadows because of the level that they're leading. And if I can impact some authenticity there, that keeps me kind of in my own value set. That's my quick version of my current focus. And what's the vision for that? What's your end goal with, with doing that? Well, you know, it's interesting as I saw that vision question, I was like, well, you know, I'm at the sunset part of my career. And so when I think about the vision, for me, it's not growing or doing more, it's trimming. But I think that the pivot point is what can I do to help better assure that what they do in a session with me or in a most of my programming now is multi-days or multi-month engagements. What is it that they're going to do when I'm no longer present? It's like it's the action. 
So my vision is to really, which is different than my struggle. And if we get to that, that's a whole other question. But it's like how to really up that sort of the action level, the, the change, the more permanent change component is where I spend my time thinking. So I think forward. Nice. Jane, I have a quick aside for you. Have you seen any of your past Outward Bound or Project Adventure students as CEOs, like within your consulting, within your your work you're doing now? Have you like bumped into them again? I am working with a superintendent who was the former boat driver when I was on Hurricane Island. (laughs) A great question. And she's younger than me. And so we overlap barely, but we kind of remember each other. And every year I facilitate her senior team back on a Hurricane Island. She takes her team because she's in that area. But it is interesting to see some of the our background in the field and how that mm-hmm. equips us to be senior leaders. And Maria Libby is, I'm sure she would love me to tell her name. She's an amazing uh, leader and it has equipped her beautifully for that role. That's awesome. Jay, what are you focusing on right now in your work? <laughs> I, I think I'd use two words and then I'll add some color to it. I think stewardship and self-awareness. It's interesting. I was thinking, so what is the population I work with? I developed this last couple of years, some self-enrichment programs for homeschool kids, which is really an interesting place I'd never thought I'd be. And then we have this aging, this aging process, and then our own little company. But when I look at really what ties all that together is stewardship and stewardship and taking care of mother earth, as well as yourself and others around you. When I think about if I could put my vision or focus in words, it'd be take time to care for yourself, for others, and the natural world and everything in it. And from that, lead by example. But I think that the process of stewardship, and particularly in this world now, it's stewardship of the earth. And then being aware of who you are and comfortable with who you are, no matter what age you're at. I think that's the process that I'm really involved in right now. And it's really interesting to, to sometimes work with a kindergarten kid that would ask me, is God real to a 96-year-old who's ready to meet God in a sense? And so, and, and we're w- working through that facilitation process. So, so I think awareness and stewardship would be how I'd go around doing that from the homeschool networks, from the next 50 we do for people over 50 years old, to aging, this aging. You know, even my role at AE as the board president, I really see that as a stewardship role. That's kind of how I approach my role as a president. Not, if anything, I'm a servant leader, but a steward in making what's happening happen. And then, you know, just having them aware of what's going on and taking time to care. I think that's what my focus is in all the different, all the different arenas that I'm, I'm in. But that's the line that brings them all together. Jay, and that's a great tie-in to um, my next question for each of you which was what led you to join AEE and become a volunteer leader. And I want to take a moment to thank both of you for all your volunteer leaderships in the organization. And if you want to talk about, Jane, about your role in the accreditation process and how you helped get that started, that would be great. And Jay mentioned his, his role right now as board president, but he's also been incredibly involved for many years in the regions and making uh, the West region happen and the conferences and things like that. So... Just a brief thank you and then how you got involved in AEE and why you became a volunteer leader. Yeah, so I I don't remember my first AEE conference. I don't remember if it was when I was in college or post. So that's, I don't have a good timeline memory. 
And then I was certainly attending a lot as a vendor, you know, as Project Adventure. I mean, we were presenting and showing our wares and, and, you know, our philosophy there was really, how do you spread adventure and experiential education broadly? Like, how do we make it accessible and quality? And so that's how I got engaged in the Accreditation Council, which is how do you rise the bar so that it lifts the quality experience to basically spread the field? And so, yeah, I was there when we were sorting through standards and what does it mean to be accredited and should we do personal certifications and all of that debate, which began to also happen at the parallel organization of, you know, ACCT. But my experience as a volunteer is like when people say, you know, like the organization, what does the organization do for me? The only way I've been able to get out of organizations is when I put in. And so when I'm volunteering at AEE or currently now I'm a former board member and volunteering for the Experiential Training and Development Alliance, I get so much more out of the organization when I'm doing something for the organization. And so it sounds self-serving, but it's a little of both. Like you, you do good and then you feel connected and then you feel more part of something. And where the accreditation council is now is like beyond our wild streams. Super successful. People have done amazing work, but that's, that was my first. And then I've done some volunteering to serve behind the scenes, but I've not served on the board. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry, conversation. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask the same thing. We're looking for two new board members. So, you know, yeah. Jay, what about you? What led you to become a volunteer leader? You know, I, I'm sure I was at a regional conference and we were talking about stepping up, you know, somebody stepping down and somebody stepping up. And I probably forgot to say not it and stepped forward and um, stepped into the process and, you know, served in that role, I think two or three different times. The last time with, there was like three of us, Bob Senba and Kathy Whitman and myself kind of spearheading the Rock Mountain region. I believed enough in the organization that when there was a need for somebody to step forward and I guess nobody jumped at it, I said I would do it and really happy that I did. And very similar to Jane, I think that it's what you put into this organization or any organization is what you get out of it. And gosh, you know, even though I've spent some years in academic, I was never a researcher. You know, I feel I'm a pretty good practitioner in the field and follow the research. And so in some ways, honoring the people that do the research, taking it from the theory and making it work and all the different things that I do, I imagine that we all do as practitioners. But it has supported my career goals, but it also because of the body, mind, spirit aspect of AE. You know, like whenever I go to one of the conferences, I always go to one of the technical workshops to learn a new skill. But then I always go to one of the workshops that is just about me, that I can learn a little bit more about me. And I think that's also, it has made me a more holistic person because of, of that process. And holistically, I put back into the organization as well. Nice. Thank you, Jay. Do you... And Jay, I know this about you. I know you volunteer at other organizations. Jane, do you volunteer anywhere else? You mentioned EDDA. ETDA is my current volunteer service. And I, well, I sometimes I do volunteer, facilitate for local climate change groups on Cape Ann. Um, I live in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And so sometimes they need somebody to help herd the cats and structure meetings as we develop our climate resistant plans as a coastal community. So I really enjoy doing that. 
Yeah, I found that people who volunteer one place often volunteer other places too. Something <laughs> gets in your blood and you can't stop yourself from volunteering and helping out, especially as a facilitator. I think people who are trained as facilitators are excellent with volunteers and helping organize and helping lead groups. And obviously the two of you have a lot of experience with that. So you're very sought after volunteers, I am sure. Jay, did you have anything to add about volunteering at other organizations? Well- Oh, a couple. I mean, I, I have volunteered for the Nature and Raptor Center at Pueblo for a number of years. With the Nature Center, just a quick story, the Nature Center came about when the Corps of Army Engineers came up with this great plan to channelize the Arkansas River from Pueblo to Kansas. And so I was involved in starting the original Audubon Society in town. About eight of us got together and we stopped the Corps of Army Engineers from channelizing the Arkansas River. And out of that grew the Nature Center. So done that. And then like Jane, I facilitate and volunteer for the Boys and Girls Club um, when they need help and to do some projects for them. And then and, and I'm a volunteer for the Aging, it's Aging International, but the Aging and Staging piece that Cleo and I do together. We do some volunteer work with them as well. But I think it's all about service. I think one of the things that Jane and I and you, Sherry, have in common is our belief in service to others. And that's what kind of drives us to do some of the things that we do as well. Yeah. Jay, you were saying that you maybe accidentally stepped forward or or didn't say not it. I think one of the things that happened with me at AE was somebody asked somebody to do something and and nobody volunteered. And I just raised my hand because (laughs) that's that's what I do. You know, you just raise your hand and that's, it got it all started. So yeah. It's definitely a thing that volunteers and and people who think about service and and helping other so changing the course of this conversation a little bit, what's something that your organization or you're struggling with right now within, you know, experiential education? I know we have a lot of other things we're struggling with, but um, within your work, what's something that you're struggling with? One of the things that I'm, I'm struggling with is, you know, what I would call code switching. And the world right now is so divisive. No matter what organization I walk into, And in some ways, no matter what group I'm working with, it's like, how do you communicate so that the people are going to be open enough to hear what you have to say, or more importantly, what the group has to say? I mean, my role as facilitators get to get a group talk going, a group speak. And how do you get past the divisionness in the world today or the set belief systems? And I'll put this out. You might want to bleep it out, but... (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm working with homeschool kids and I had a woman walk up to me the other day and said, are you going to teach evolution? Well, that's like a hot button, right? I said, I'm not going to teach evolution, but I am going to teach adaptations. Oh, you can teach adaptations. I'm like, so it's kind of like, how do you not making sure that you honor yourself and, you know, how do you create the discussion so that we can have these open discussions, no matter what age range or what age level. And so for me, it's just having some open discussions and sticking with your values while you're having those open discussions. And, you know, they call it code switching is what they call it. But so it's been really interesting. It's been a, it's been a struggle. Yeah. I can see that would be a a huge challenge, especially in today's climate and with, you know, people having such strong opinions about things. And as a facilitator, being the person that is trying to help people see each other's side, that puts you personally in an interesting position. So interesting about that, Jay, is my answers were very, very close. The side answer, the easier one of, to the question is, 
my engagement in the experiential side of experiential education has shifted every like decade, right? Like outward bound, wilderness, project adventure, facility-based. Now corporate consulting, as I moved, I do very little actual experiential. So I don't think it's a struggle, but I'm consciously aware of, am I integrating enough experience, even though I don't, I cannot bring a fleece ball into this setting. They're not (laughs) going to take it serious enough, right? And so I'm using dialogue and I'm using actual solutions of business problems as the experiential component to which then I can still develop the group. But I wouldn't call it a struggle, but it's where my mind drifts there, like, Mm. how does it fit? The struggle for me is as a consultant, you know, we get paid to be politically agnostic. You know, I'm working with people who I know are politically on very different spectrums as I am. And that's been okay but it's feeling less okay today. There are just some issues that for me, I just cannot pretend I'm neutral on. And I'm working with superintendents who are fighting, right, to keep books on the shelves that matter, who are trying to pass transgender laws so that a child can use a restroom. There's just topics that I can no longer play that I'm politically agnostic on. If we want to talk about political and I'm struggling with how does my authenticity show up and not show up in the consulting work that I'm doing? Because we're rarely are we talking about those issues, but I want to make sure that I'm coming in full-heartedly myself. And I do have some strong opinions that I'm not super neutral on. And how do I engage in that, if that conversation were to come up with a client or with a client group? And how do I manage that? And so that's been my thinking. So very similar to yours, Jay. And it's sort of sad that we have to navigate it in a different way than we perhaps you. Yeah. Jane, you were saying that earlier, you know, your focus is what happens to the group after you're gone, after you're not there anymore. And kind of leading back to what you just said, because I've heard throughout my career, you know, the best facilitators, the facilitator, they, they don't remember. They remember the experience, you know. And and so that plays into like, if you step into a, a hotbed conversation and you have an opinion about it and you say something that that's definitely going to impact the group and the group dynamics and what's happening. And But you're also a person. And so you have to voice your opinion. That's a very complicated, fine line type. It's a very complicated line. And I mean, anytime as a consultant, the minute I step in a room, I've changed the dynamic of the session. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm observing in a coaching role, the minute I'm observing a meeting, I've changed the meeting. And so we do have a very big lever. And I, I love this notion of trying to be invisible, but we shouldn't kid ourselves that we are. Yes, yeah. we're not. <laughs> right, right. But it's just like... You know, for example, I had a client recently, and and DEIB is not my specialty. I don't do that work explicitly, but I was co-facilitating a session, and we were talking about differences. And somebody said, but Jane, what if you just don't like hamburgers? Kind of like, I just don't like them, or I don't like those people. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember how we actually answered it, but I remember leaving that feeling like I'm not sure I had enough of my own authenticity in how I managed that interaction. Yeah. And people who know me, anybody who hears this are going to be like, Jane sidestepped a potential sort of conflict conversation. It's not what people see me as, but I sidestepped it. And I still look back on that and wonder, was there something I could have said that would have felt more authentic? Mm-hmm. And that may have made that person sort of stop to say, if you're talking about humans, what does that mean that, I, that I'd like to get better at? Mm-hmm. And Jane, you see the same group 
of people multiple times, correct? You know, if you have a group of kids that comes in one day of the year, you know, one day and you see them. But likely it's totally yeah. inappropriate yeah. to get into it. But yeah, I'm seeing people sometimes for 90, 100 day spans of engagement, deep sessions with them. And so we get to know each other. And so therefore, I'm a little bit more out there with sort of my personal life and things going on in my life and how that impacts sort of my lens. So that's allowed me to get closer to these conversations. I have a coaching client. I'm not going to talk about names or anything, but lives in Florida. We recognize that we have very different political views. And I love the guy. We've been in a coaching relationship for quite a long time. And so we've recognized that there's still commonalities there. And he and I were able over a series of time to understand that. And so that feels like I was authentic there. How can I play that elsewhere? But I do not think about this in one day engagements. I'm glad you said that because that's where I don't have enough trust built, enough information. And therefore, I'd be making too many judgments as well. And that's kind of what I was going to say, you know, like as consultants and, you know, we walk this fine line, but as they begin to trust us more and more. Do we have the, the responsibility, might be the right word, I'm not sure, but it's the responsibility to have them look at another opinion and we might be able to help at least open them up for a short time because they trust us after we've been with them for a while. And so, you know, as we develop these relationships, as they begin to know us as people versus just the consultant that walked in one day. You know, I think in some ways we have much more impact, not necessarily just because of the leadership role that we're playing or changing their organization, but also changing maybe some of their own culture and their own belief systems as consultant and facilitators. Mm -hmm. So it's an honor. I mean, it's an honor to be a consultant or a facilitator and for some organization to, to ask any of us to come in and to work with them, for sure. Okay. Story time. Your favorite aha moment, that moment of realization or that moment of discovery from a participant or student. I know when you, when you ask people who've been doing this for 35, 40 years, we could be here like a four hour podcast and people would be like asleep. Like I'll play this for my nighttime sleep setting. Just do an aha moment podcast. Right. That'd be awesome. Going 40 years back, I'll just do one that happened recently. I ran a, again, multi-month leadership development program for women superintendents and assistant superintendents in the state of Maine. These are uh, warrior queens. These are people who are standing up and trying to run really complex school districts with lots of complex issues. And so our final session was, what was your big lesson? What's your takeaway after these seven months of engagement? And this one woman stood up and she said, you know, I just want to say that right now when I'm at my board meeting and standing up doing public comment, which has gotten increasingly vicious in school board meetings where you have to have a public microphone and people are using it viciously. She said, I can stand there and be completely steady because of the work we did around managing conflict and Aikido. So I do a session with a colleague of mine that blends the martial art of Aikido, which is a third way, which is not pushing resistance with resistance, but blending with your resistor. She goes, I stand in that public comment completely steady in my space and let that resistance pass me so I can better hear him or her. And I thought to me, like, that's that application piece. It's like she just learned something that is making her career better and 
Right. It has nothing to do with anything except what that lesson. So that's my most recent and beautiful aha moment as I think about this warrior queen, and maybe she stands a little steadier. Wow. I'll go on the other end of the age spectrum. I'll go to, we ran a trip recently. We had this bead ceremony, and then probably a lot of people do it, and you get the number the number of days you're on the trip, you get the same number of beads of the same color, and then you get a special bead. Each day you give out a bead to somebody that you think did a really amazing thing of the simple colors, and then at the very end, you give out your special bead. We had a girl, and none of us knew this, show up on the trip who had just found her dad in the bathtub who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And um, so she got done, and her mother insisted she go on this trip, even though she had just found her dad. And I mean, like within the last couple of weeks. And she said she had come on the trip, decided she was going to commit suicide. And at the end of the trip, because of what we did, she knew she had a group of friends and that she's ready to get back on with life. So that was my pretty recent aha moment. So, you know, experiential learning is like blowing things away, but that's like on the other end of the scale. But that was like, holy moly, none of us knew that was going on. And at the last meeting, she told us that. And now she wants to come back and be a leader for us in our high school group. So that's pretty cool. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we just did a senior trip and went around this corner and we had these big jeeps, full coral, bighorn sheeps on the trip. This lady, we encouraged her to go on the trip, be with the trip, be on the trip. And at the end of the trip, she says the first time she had felt connected in years with other human beings. And so now, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to get back with life. So both ends of the scale would be my two ahas during that process. Thank you, Jay. Your aging and disaging program, how old are the people that are involved in that? Well, let's see. The oldest person is 96. The youngest person is about 55. Awesome. Retirement goals for me? I can go be part of your aging and saging program? You could be part of You could become one of our facilitators. Come on. <laughs> it sounds great. Sounds very fun and powerful and amazing. And plus it's in Colorado, so that's lovely too. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Well, Jay and Jane, thank you so much for sharing a small part of your experiences and your wisdom. And thanks to everyone for listening to this podcast of It's in the Experience. We hope you learned a little something about experiential education and had some fun. Join us each month to hear more stories and experiences from other voices in the community. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You can find out more about experiential education, including upcoming conferences, roundtable calls where the community shares information and supports each other, and resources such as the newly published Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Field Guide. All of these are at the Association for Experiential Education website, aee.org.